Hi, everyone. Eric here. Before we get to our discussion with South African journalist Karine Duplessis about Lin Songtian, I want to quickly tell you about our daily newsletter that goes out to our subscribers. Now more than ever, we all need accurate, high-quality information about what's going on with COVID-19 and how it's impacting Africa and China's engagement there. And that's what we're doing with this newsletter by filtering out the noise and giving you a daily digest of the information you need to know. Find out more and subscribe today at chinaafricaproject.com slash subscribe. There's half off for students and faculty. Once again, that's chinaafricaproject.com slash subscribe. Now on to the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from SubChina. The China in Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good morning to you, Kobus. Good morning. Kobus, today is actually quite a big day in the China-Africa space. Ambassador Lin Songtian, probably the most high-profile Chinese official in Africa. Actually, let me restate that. Definitely the most high-profile Chinese official in in all of Africa. He is on his way out. Now, this story broke last Thursday uh, when uh, it was broken on the Daily Maverick newspaper that suggested he had been recalled. Then later the following day, News 24 broke a story uh, that added a little bit more context to it, suggesting that it might be more complicated than a recall. It is hard to overstate his importance uh, in the China-Africa relationship. But this is a diplomat who goes back 20, almost 20 years in Africa. And uh, he has been an architect of China's policies in Africa. And we don't exactly know why he is leaving. But Kobus, it's a big deal. Yes, it, it certainly, it, it's a really a big deal. Um, he was a very prominent um, sp- spokesperson for for China in Africa and is increasingly has become a very prominent spokesperson for China in the whole world um, and that seems to perhaps be his future he's in in his in his departure letter he obliquely referred to going to a new post and it seems that that you know kind of he might be moving towards a more global role um, from his African engagement so let's before we get to our discussion with our guest today, let me kind of set up our discussion here. So the letter that Kobus referred to uh, is in Independent Online, which is a newspaper and website in South Africa that incidentally is 20% owned by the Chinese. Uh, and he wrote a goodbye letter, a deep love for a beautiful country and its people. And he said, uh, my wife and I leave South Africa today, the beautiful rainbow country where I've worked for two and a half years and seven months to return to China. Now, let me just kind of uh, give you a little bit of background and touch on what, again, what Kobus was talking about, about his importance to the Chinese in Africa. I have a little bit of sound here from a CCTV biopic that was done back in 2016. And what I want you to take away from this is, again, how long he's been on the continent, and at the same time, that this guy really is a big deal and much bigger deal than just an ambassador. It was in 1999 that the fate of Lin Songtian became linked to that of Africa. Since then, he has served successively as counselor at the Chinese embassy in Zambia, 
and ambassador to Liberia and Malawi. In 2014, Lin Songtian became director of the Department of African Affairs of the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the secretary general of the follow-up committee of the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation to play an increasingly important role in the promotion of Sino-African cooperation in all areas. In 2015, he initiated and participated in the organization of the China-Africa Cooperation Forum Summit in Johannesburg. South Africa, the first of its kind in Africa. So that, you know, that video goes on for something like 15 minutes and it's horrendously boring, but it does give you his biography and it is a very, very rich biography. He is, again, a very, very sophisticated and skilled uh, diplomat in Africa. Now, what's been happening over the past, say, six months? On September 19th of last year, he opened a Twitter account and alongside a lot of Chinese diplomats. And what was so interesting was that he evolved from being an Africa diplomat to increasingly becoming one of China's chief critics of the United States. And what makes Lin so different than other Chinese officials of any kind is that this is a guy who is unafraid to do live TV press conferences. He doesn't have scripted interviews with journalists. He goes out, he does walk and talks. He's much more cut from the cloth of a U.S. or European politician, much more like a, a retail U.S. politician who glad hands and, uh, and really kisses babies and does all of those things in order to kind of win public opinion. But here is what I contend that he is going to be doing. When Mike Pompeo, the United States Secretary of State, visited Africa, when was that, Cobus? That was, what, a month ago, a month and a half ago? Yes, roughly, yeah. During the visit... It came to, to Lin Songtian to be to really challenge and, and criticize. And I want to kind of play this sound because I think this is going to be important for, again, the, the rest of our conversation. There's no market for his argument and no one buys it. As the former chief of CIA, as you know, what is the CIA doing? He still lived in the Cold War era, it seemed to us. He did not come to the modern society. He did not change the outdated Jerusalem mentality of Cold War defined by hatred, hostility, and ideological prejudice. He does not mince words. And again, his English isn't perfect, uh, but he is unafraid of going out there and just letting the Americans have it. And he's been and he's been hitting the Americans very, very hard on Twitter, so much so that, Cobus, you and I have had discussion with various American officials, and they actually didn't know what to do and how to respond to him. So in some ways, I imagine the folks at U.S. Embassy Pretoria and in the State Department might actually be happy, maybe. I would contend that they might want to reserve that joy because my suspicion is that he will be in their face quite a bit in the next few weeks and months as we find out what he's going to do. Okay, let's get to our guest. Uh, Karine Duplessis is a journalist based in South Africa. She was one of two journalists who broke the story last week of, uh, of Lynn's departure. And uh, the first story came out of Peter Fabricius, who did the story for the Daily Maverick. And then following up on News 24, Karine, uh, you did your story. Welcome back to the program. We're very happy to have you back. Thank you so much, Eric. Why don't you give us a little bit of the background about how you came to the story last week and set us up what, the, what information that you know about what precipitated this move, what you think precipitated this move. Well, interesting story how we came to the story. Uh, we uh, went to Tibet last year with the Chinese government. It was part of uh, 
part of the ambassador's efforts to get uh, people, journalists, um, opinion makers in South Africa to have more insight into China's relationship with Tibet, which is obviously also an issue. Um, and we had a WhatsApp group, and uh, one of our colleagues on the WhatsApp group posted this, that she'd heard that he's leaving, uh, asking us if we'd heard the same. Uh, so Peter and I went and we we followed up and we inquired with our colleagues. And, um, and then eventually some of the officials in the Chinese embassy kind of confirmed without really saying so that he is leaving. And they said that, you know, there will be a statement later on. But they wouldn't say, you know, they wouldn't actually confirm on the record whether he's leaving. They wouldn't say why he's leaving. Um, so, so we had to, all, all that we could do is speculate. They also wouldn't say when the statement was coming. And it turns out that his opinion piece in, in the independent newspapers today was that statement. So, so that's how we came on the story and, um, and that's how we got to confirm it. But, um, but finding out the real reasons is very difficult because uh, the Chinese officials, um, as nice as they are and as friendly as they are, um, they're very tight-lipped. They wouldn't go off the record or under the table to, to give us any hints about whether you know, this is a promotion or a demotion. Um, the officials in Durko also, they knew about it in the um, South Africa's um, uh, International Relations Department, uh, and they put their own spin on, on the reasons of why he's leaving. Uh, I'm not sure if you want to hear about those reasons now. or whether Go ahead, yes. Later. Let's, let's, hear, yeah, let's hear what Durko had to say. Yeah, one official told us, um, and he told both of us, incidentally, the same story, um, that because South Africa had been taking so long to appoint its uh, a replacement ambassador to Beijing, um, our ambassador left somewhere towards the middle of last year. Um, because we'd taken so long, China had seen this as a snub uh, and now is withdrawing its ambassador in protest. And he said that the ambassador will be sent back once we uh, in South Africa appoint our ambassador. But this also speaks a lot to local politics um, in South Africa. There's, there's some uh, fighting in, in in the in the ruling party in the ANC, um, in between certain factions, and that fighting has, has gone down to the you know it's it's in the department as well. And the ambassador who was supposed to be appointed there is a controversial uh, former intelligence minister under the former president uh, Jacob Zuma. And he didn't pass his security clearance recently when he had to get local security clearance to go there uh, to Beijing. So um, so I suspect there's some officials that are upset about this and now they're spinning uh, Ambassador Lin's departure as being a kind of retribution for that. But, um, but we sort of doubt the story. I mean, the more plausible uh, stories that we've heard is that some of our politicians and some of the officials in the International Relations Department are, um, they don't like the fact that the ambassador is so outspoken and that, they, that he's, he's kind of offended them in some instances and, um, and they don't like this. But, um, but again, whether, whether this would be a reason for, uh, for redeploying or for withdrawing the ambassador or recalling him or promoting him, whatever it is, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, this is a very interesting issue because, you know, um, Lin came to South Africa, obviously, well, he was already very prominent when he came. And so his his appointment to the ambassadorship in South Africa indicated, I think, that, that South Africa does 
occupy a very a very important position in the larger China Africa relationship. But then since then he's been quite you know he's he's he's, he's an unabashed speaker. He always he, he always can, can speaks his mind, um, and he's been quite clear that that he's found South Africa very disappointing. You know, kind of that he's very disillusioned by South Africa, and and he seemed to be in in you know kind of just what you know group conversations in which I I was present. Um, he he seemed quite you know kind of a little bit over South Africa you know kind of he, he, he kept saying like, you know and keep comparing South Africa to places like Ethiopia in terms of, of ease of doing business um, and so I was wondering like how you think the South African government was taking all of this criticism that he was putting out increasingly the, including the one time when he was uh, when he you know shortly after Cyril Ramaphosa took over where he essentially said that well you know kind of if Cyril Ramaphosa doesn't pull South Africa through the ditch then nothing will. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he's outspoken as his, I mean, it, it's been surprising. Uh, I work, I speak to a lot of diplomats in, in, in Pretoria, foreign diplomats, and Western diplomats would never go to this level of, of criticism that Ambassador Lynn did. Uh, and I mean, even about crime, I remember I interviewed him shortly after he arrived, and he said to me, he said he can bring a million uh, Chinese tourists, that's, I mean, that's a fraction of the Chinese market, he can bring a million tourists to South Africa in a year if only we can sort our crime problem. So I thought that was, you know, it was quite quite a straight, straightforward, straight-talking uh, ambassador. And last year there was an issue with uh, the Chinese not paying over a loan to uh, South Africa's um, embattled uh, energy generator, ESCOM. And uh, the finance minister was still trying to spin it and said, you know, that it's just been delayed, it will come later. And then Ambassador Lin straightforwardly said, he said, well, we don't know if ESCOM can repay this loan. And that's the reason why we're not paying the money over. So, so he's, been very, he's been very outspoken. And, and perhaps this has is, this is made some people uneasy. Um, he's also, there was also an incident, um, I think it was last year or the year before last, when the Tibetan president in exile, um, Lobsang Sange, when he came to South Africa, and he was allowed in by the South African authorities, and and the ambassador was really angry because, uh, uh, you know, as you know, China and and the Tibetan leaders in exile don't get on very well. They 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 don't recognize those leaders at all. So um, so he was so that that created some uh, some conflict or some uh, um, yeah some disagreement, if I can put it lightly, as well. So um, so in that sense, it's been. It's been refreshing as well, in a way, because uh, it's the first time that I ever remember uh, or that I know of a Chinese ambassador that, you know, that's that's reached out to the media in this way and that has engaged with us in this way. And um, and like you said earlier, Eric, he's he's been speaking about the U.S. a lot, which is <laughs> it's been very uh, frustrating because he would call press conferences and then we would go thinking he might say something about South Africa because. You know, obviously our audience is in South Africa. We want to report um, to, to the South Africans what, what he says about our country. And then he would launch into this whole tirade about the U.S. And, and then, you know, two hours later, you might get a chance to ask him about South Africa. So um, so he's been he's been very outspoken, but, but a very interesting uh, uh, diplomat. Yeah, and two, two hours, you know, Karin, you mentioned two hours, like you're not, Karen is not joking. Like I've I've been in in sessions with him that went on for three and a half hours longer than that. Like he he likes talking. <laughs> I honestly think that uh, I think 
Daily Maverick committed journalistic malpractice with the Peter Fabricius article. I, I have a lot of respect for Peter. I've been fo- I don't know him personally, but I've been following his work quite a, quite a long time. But to suggest in a headline the word recall, I think is, I mean that is an official word and that has meaning to it. And and to suggest without any evidence that he's been recalled, uh, and that's not that's a di- there's a diplomatic context for it. Recall doesn't necessarily mean that he's just going back for a new assignment. That's a rotation out. You know, diplomats change all the time. Ambassadors change all the time. Recall implies that he has done something bad and he's going. He's getting demoted. And oftentimes, it it has the engagement of the host president or prime minister. One week before on Women's Day, before this news came out. Uh, Ramaphosa was seen smiling with at an ANC event where the Chinese Communist Party and the ANC. Now, remember, the relationship between China and Africa is not just a state-to-state relationship, but also a party-to-party relationship. And the relationship between the two parties uh, is exceptionally strong. There is no incentive on my mind in the midst of this crisis that is burgeoning, economic and health, that Ramaphosa would want to pick a fight with the Chinese, his largest trading partner, one of his largest sources of investment. At the end of the day, you know, Lin may have been a little thorn in the side of, of mid-level bureaucrats in, in Durko, but nothing compared to, say, what Richard Grinnell, the U.S. ambassador to Germany, was in the things that he said. And, you know, a recall, and that's why all the speculation of these ish, of these points that were in Peter's article, to me, felt very, very small and did not understand Chinese politics in the least. They looked at it from the point of view of Durko. He had a couple sources inside Durko, and he had a couple sources, you know, maybe in the Western diplomatic community, and they were all off the record, and so we don't know. So with that in mind, uh, let me put forward my speculation. <laughs> so now people can criticize me. Um, in the past two weeks, three weeks since the COVID crisis has erupted in the United States, uh, President Trump has really turned on the Chinese virus theme. That is just really, really getting under the skin of the Chinese. Uh, and I think what the Chinese are doing is they're moving around their, their players right now on the board. Uh, the relationship with the United States has gotten so bad that one of the most respected China watchers, Bill Bishop, who writes the Sinocism newsletter, uh, probably in my view, one of the most respected China watchers in the United States, that everybody in the space reads every single day. If you're in the China space, you read what Bill Bishop has to say. He said we are on the precipice of the worst relationship, of a break in the China-Africa relationships in effect. He's never seen it this bad in 40 years. And with that context, again, forget about the petty politics in South Africa. Nothing, Karine, that you've said from what the Durko people are saying rises to anything that's meaningful, in my view, the way the Chinese would pull a, a politician like, uh, like Lin Songtian. They're moving him, my guess, is into a frontline role to attack the United States. That quote that I gave you to uh, showing that I, that we just played, showing what he was doing with Pompeo, I think proves to the, you know to the, to his bosses in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs that he's ready for prime time now, and he's probably going to be following the example of Zhao Lijian. Zhao is the former uh, ambassador to Pakistan, who is now based in Beijing and sits on Twitter and just trolls, and really he's the guy who put out the uh, the rumor the unfounded accusation that the United States military brought COVID-19 to Wuhan. And that started this whole brouhaha that we have today. So 
you know, Karin, this, I think, in some ways reveals one of the themes of covering the China-Africa relationship that Kobus and I have been talking about for a long time, is that African stakeholders don't understand enough about China. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's, I think what you say is true in the sense that um, the Chinese thinking around politics is very, very different to, to what we used to in South Africa. And because perhaps we're not, uh, we don't speak Mandarin or we don't read Chinese uh, publications enough, perhaps we don't have that good understanding of, of Chinese politics. And that, that's why it was, that's why it was interesting hearing your speculation, because you had a, you know, a bit of a further view. Um, and I, but I do think in terms of local politics, uh, the Chinese uh, have been perhaps a little disappointed that he, um, you know, even though he made a big impact in South Africa, uh, he didn't have the same reaction from the media as, as his recent tweets, like you remarked, um, the, the, the tweets he did um, attacking, I forgot what exactly issue it was that he, that he wrote, that he um, uh, touched on in his tweets. But um, but you you wrote that the right wing media had a, a massive reaction. I think it was on the, on the COVID nineteen crisis. Oh oh my gosh he he's been jumping in lately. He's been specifically targeting President Trump, and he's been hitting n- nerves that I'm not a hundred percent sure if he understands what he's doing. Because just as we said that the uh, African stakeholders don't have a very solid understanding of the Chinese. The Chinese have massive blind spots in understanding the United States and the Americans. And so on March 20th, and again, this is interesting in the timing because March 20th was on Friday. Your reports came out on Thursday. So after the reports came out that he was leaving, he retweeted a screenshot of a Hillary Clinton tweet. Holy cow, that sent the right-wing media in the United States into a tizzy. Communist China supporting Hillary Clinton. And again, what I speculated in the newsletter today was, in our China-Africa newsletter, was, is that by accident or is that on purpose? And if he's now one of the new trolls to go attack the U.S. conservative side, then he's doing this very, very sophisticated—he's very sophisticated in his approach. That has been one of his themes for the past two, three weeks— is getting the uh, getting a rise out of Breitbart, Daily Caller, uh, these uh, the Federalist, and they're now they know who he is, uh, and these are websites that know who no other Chinese official is, <laughs> short of Xi Jinping. So, so Eric, kind of picking picking up from that, um, do you then see him becoming becoming this kind of kind of what do you call it like kind of celebrity target taking on that kind of that kind of status in the US do you foresee him becoming like relatively widely known in the US I don't think he will go to the US because Sui Tian Kai who's the ambassador there is also a, a you know a really prominent guy and I don't think a guy like Sui Tian Kai wants to have the competition I think he'll be more like Zhao Lijian, who is going to be just, again, a, a, a social media and also uh, doing live press conferences and articulating a, an aggressive point of view towards the United States. He's proving capable of doing this in English and not mincing words, as we heard with Pompeo. I don't think that he's going to go away. I don't think you're going to see him the, you know, the, the, the Chinese ambassador to the African Union. Or the you know the the Chinese you know some kind of formal diplomatic position. My guess is there he's a swing player and he can you know in in baseball we say he can bat right or he can bat left. He can do English. He can do Chinese. He can do Twitter. He can do TV. I think he's a very versatile player for the Chinese right now, and they want to punch back at the Americans, and that's where I think he's going to end up. Um, I think I mean his impact will be bigger if 
he is in a role where he um, is attacking the U.S. because because of this media coverage that he um, elicited there. I mean, in South Africa, he's just another outspoken ambassador. He's not, you know, he, he hasn't captured the the media's attention here. Well, very few things actually capture the media attention here other than corruption, local corruption. Um, but he hasn't captured the media attention here like he has in the, in, in the U.S. So, so perhaps he um, he will be more he will have more of an impact if he is in a in a bigger international role than you know than just in South Africa. So so in that sense, I think your speculation does does carry carry weight. There was one other clue that that came out, which was on March seventh, he announced a new spokesperson for the embassy to handle media affairs. You interviewed this woman. She was quoted in your story. I forget her name. Duping was her name. Duping. Duping. Yes. yes. That struck me as odd on March 7th, before all of this came out, because this is a guy who hasn't needed a spokesperson. He's the guy who talks in front of the media. I, I was trying to bait her a little bit, um, because it was the day, it was a day or two before International Women's Day. So so we thought perhaps he was just trying to, you know, to promote women by introducing her. But um, but she did give a speech. So um, I was kind of trying to bait her. And, and again, perhaps I'm displaying my... Um, my lack of knowledge on Chinese politics, but I said to her, oh, wouldn't it be nice if the embassy appoints a female ambassador in, in the ambassador's place? And, and she just um, kind of, you know, sent, sent back a smiley on the WhatsApp. So, um, so I don't know, I, unless she, um, she will be the spokesperson for whoever the next ambassador is, or unless she will, you know, sort of stand in, be acting ambassador or charge d'affaires um, until the next ambassador is appointed. Karin, what what is your impression of how the how the embassy is handling or is re, is um, kind of reshuffling things to handle press around the the COVID nineteen outbreak, especially as it as it gathers pace in South Africa? Um, well, I mean, in the beginning, before the virus, before we had our first locally confirmed cases, the embassy was very proactive in communicating and. I think they had almost weekly press conferences where they where they called us and, and communicated this to us. But the last press conference was the one where Duping, the, the spokeswoman, was um, announced. And it happens to have been, I think it was a day after we had our first cases in, announced in South Africa. Um, and ever since then, uh, we've had press releases issued by her and not by the ambassador himself, which, I mean, usually the press release would be released in his name. Um, and then she's been issuing press releases and, and obviously no more press conferences because of uh, social distancing and, and strict measures. Um, but they've been very proactive and they've made it very clear that, um, especially, I mean, the last press conference again, the ambassador made it very clear that China does not believe that the virus is, um, you know, a, a, the Wuhan virus or it, it originated in China. Um, or, you know, he, he basically said not enough is known about the origin of the virus to, to say for certain. So, um, so that's... Yeah, that's them intentionally muddying the water. I mean, yeah, that's the... Uh, that's, the that's their That's their party line. Yes. That is the narrative, that's and right. And also he made clear that, you know, he said, well, China's got this, we've got it under control. Um, uh, you know, he also made a point that Chinese citizens didn't pose a threat to, to Africa because, um, because of the way China controlled it. And you know, interestingly, interestingly enough, now we see that most of the infections that came into Africa were from Europe. Um, so, so in that sense, he's been right. Uh, and, and yeah, recently China's going to, I mean, it's been donating, uh, business people there have been donating masks and um, test kits. We saw um, Jack Ma's Alibaba uh, over the weekend 
uh, he donated a million test kits. So, so yeah, so it's very much that sort of, you know, cooperation um, and uh, yeah, I guess getting political mileage out of the situation in a, in a very subtle way. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting point. Kobus, I'd like to get your take on something here because I, I'm starting to think that South Africa has long been the most important outpost for the Chinese in Africa. It has been the largest economy for a long time. It's no longer. It, for a long time, was also the home to the largest uh, ethnic Chinese population, which is still the case. I think the number is somewhere around 300,000, and that's a mix of both immigrants and uh, ethnic Chinese born, but it's still a very large, vibrant population. For a long time, it was the gateway for Chinese investment. But in many ways, though, we're looking, we're seeing Ethiopia, Kenya, and increasingly Nigeria uh, emerge as, as as big hubs for the Chinese. And so South Africa's importance might be diminishing in terms of their geopolitics. Uh, is there any merit to that theory, or am I just purely speculating on it? I feel I'm seeing similar trends. Um, look, South Africa is always going to be, or for the foreseeable future, will be an important partner. You know, because it it, it has it has high levels of technological capability, which means that a lot of Chinese firms set up here. Um, it's also it's, it it has been and it's always you know and it will be for a while be an important political partner. It's a BRICS partner, for example. Um, so so all of these all of the kind of mechanisms for interaction are in place in in South Africa in a way. That it isn't and that ANC relationship is yes, also very exactly. important. Exactly, that party-party party relationship is very strong. However, like what what Lynn has been making clear over the last while, and this is like for like more at least a year, has been that that China that the line he always pushed was that China is burning to help South Africa, and there's a billion different things China would like to do in South Africa, but South Africa makes it very difficult. Um, and you know that that has always been this kind of coded way of complaining about about a, a mix of things. One being that that South Africa does have a quite progressive legislation. So the, South Africa is as a, as a as a as you know, as a post-apartheid country, South Africa has very robust worker protections, for example. So it's you can't South Africa can't easily follow a, a kind of a cheap labor mass manufacturing model the way that that Ethiopia is. And so, so some of the Chinese tools for promoting development don't necessarily fit very well in South Africa. At the same time, South Africa has a, like widespread mismanagement and and high levels of corruption, particularly coming out of the Zuma the Zuma era. And so you know. Some of these factors, some some which actually you know kind of uh, would, would South Africans would see as as progressive, you know kind of um, mechanisms in South African legislation mixed with some South African lapses, is actually limiting the amount of business that Chinese companies can do with South Africa compared to places like Ethiopia. So when you when in in the past when I spoke with Lin, he was frequently complaining about about the 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 ease of doing business in in, in Ethiopia compared to. South Africa. And so there is, I think, this this kind of, there, there seems to be a kind of a shifting of, of focus um, in Chinese engagement towards East Africa, particularly also because it's so conveniently located in terms of doing business with Europe and with the Middle East as well. And then increasingly just this kind of assumption that, oh, where the action is going to be in the future is going to be Nigeria. So I think there is a danger, I think, of South Africa kind of being sidelined or falling, you know, kind of, it's, it's kind of geographical distance suddenly, you know, kind of counting in its disfavor. I always find it funny when I hear Chinese ambassadors or Chinese officials who are from the Communist Party 
kind of bridle under worker protections. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it always just seems odd to me, but okay. Karine, what do you think, just let's wrap this up now, and what do you think Lin's legacy will be, uh, if any? Or is he gone? He's, he's He may be, you know, Lin has left the house, the private jet's gone because there's no more Air China flights. Uh, is he forgotten already, or will he leave a legacy? Well, I mean, he left, it was a very abrupt way in which he left, um, because, you know, like he said in his opinion piece in the independent um, newspapers today, uh, it's the last flight out kind of thing. And um, there wasn't a farewell party for him because, you know, we, we can't have big gatherings at the moment. Um, but but I do think he, you know, I do, I do think he will remember it locally for, for quite a while to come. Um, he has, I mean, he's, he's had a lot of media exposure. He's, he's been around to, um, to some of our trade ports. He's been around, um, uh, you know, to, to a lot of businesses. Uh, the recent, uh, meeting where he was standing with, uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa that you spoke about, it was for International Women's Day, um, they gave uh, the Chinese embassy gave a lot of money to the ANC Women's League, and they really needed that money, by the way, to organise a conference. Which I'm not sure what when it will happen now with with the Corona outbreak. Um, but in that sense, yeah, I, I do think he will be remembered. Especially, I think the ANC Women's League. I've been to a few gatherings where um, where they were entertained by the embassy. Um, he, um, you know, he went all out. They had great a great lunch there. They had. Um, scarves you know ANC scarves given uh, donated by the Chinese they, they all got flowers so he did he definitely did do a, a great outreach to um you know the to the community via via the ANC via the governing party so I think in that sense he will be remembered and it will be interesting to see what impact the next ambassador makes um and you know whether he will make the same impact or whether we will will speak fondly about the days when you know when we did have access to to a Chinese ambassador. I mean, I'm also speaking about uh, from a media point of view. Uh, we had a lot of access to him, and it was it really. I think it really helped uh, for myself in you know sort of learning the way China sees things. Uh, he communicated it very well uh, and very thoroughly. So, so he will be missed by by journalists. And he he was exceptional for that. He was he was definitely exceptional. I mean, although we're starting to see other ambassadors. Uh, like Deputy Ambassador uh, Zhao Baogang in Zimbabwe, who is much more media savvy. We're seeing also Wu Peng in, uh, in Kenya, who is, he just had an interview with Dixon Olewe from the BBC, again, unscripted, which these are new things for Chinese ambassadors. So uh, we might see a different type of ambassador come, uh, one who's more media savvy and also probably going to be Twitter friendly too. So thank you so much, Karine, for taking the time to talk to us about your reporting. This is an important story. We're so glad that we had the chance to catch you in the same week that your story came out, that the event actually happened. Uh, Karine, you are very popular on Twitter. If people want to follow you, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? <laughs> they can just follow my Twitter handle, which is Karine Duplessis, C-A-R-I-E-N-D-U-P-L-E-S-S-I-S. Um, and yeah, and just click follow. And um, I, I tweet about more, more, more wide, more, more sort of local politics than than you do, Eric. But um, but yeah. But from time to time, you do cover the China Africa beat. We'll put a link to your News Twenty Four story that you did on Lin Songtian, and also I'll put a link to uh, to Karine's Twitter handle as well. Thanks so much, Karine. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me. Kobus, I, for one, am going to miss Ambassador Lin. Uh, Karin at one point said he's my favorite ambassador, and he, he was my favorite ambassador because he just gave me material to work with 
every day. I mean, I so much Twitter mileage I got out of this guy in our newsletter. I got to write about him because he was just verbose. As you talked about, you know, interviews with him would go on for two, three hours, and he would just talk and talk. And he was so much more outspoken than other Chinese officials that there was just a lot of material to work with. So in that sense, I appreciated him. I think that, again, I'm just speculating as to what he's going to do next. And I, I say it with an enormous amount of confidence, but any time you deal with Chinese politics, you also have to bring a big chunk of humility with it. Nobody really knows. Maybe he was recalled. Maybe he is being demoted. Maybe, I, I doubt it. I think these are strange times. Big things are happening. One of the key giveaways, Kobus, that was for me that something was changing was a couple weeks ago, about two weeks ago, he, he went on Twitter, and I don't have the exact words in front of me, but he basically offered the United States assistance in their fight against COVID. And then he brought in, he retweeted a New York Times article showing how the United States is struggling to contain uh, COVID-19. It was a clear troll. And, and there were two kind of interesting things. One, it wasn't a legitimate offer of support because, A, that would never come through an African ambassador or a a Chinese ambassador in Africa. And if it was a legitimate offer of support, it would never be done on Twitter. <laughs> you know, Lynn would have gone to Ambassador Lana Marks in Pretoria and said, listen, we can help you. We can be a back channel, whatever. But it would never have been on Twitter. So that was a troll. And I just, I have to think that some of these tweets are calculated and considered. And the fact that he continued to keep provoking the United States from that tweet for the past two or three weeks all the way up to the Hillary tweet from last week on Friday indicates to me that he is doing something different on top of his criticisms of Pompeo. This is not the role of an African ambassador to speak outside of their jurisdiction. Normally, ambassadors are only confined to speak within the jurisdiction of the country that they're in. So the U.S. ambassador to Switzerland does not talk about Kazakhstan. <laughs> That's just not the way it works in any kind of diplomacy. And the fact that the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs gave this guy so much extra room to maneuver was indicative of the fact that I think that he has a bigger role coming that is not at all kind of tied to what he's been doing in Africa over the past 20 years, in part because the times are calling for it. That was a very long-winded summation, but uh, that's where I'm kind of leaning right now. I fully admit that I may be wrong, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything is speculation at the moment, but I think um, it, it does seem to, to so, so a few different things seem to be moving in the same direction. One, that that ambassadors got um, leeway from Beijing to, to be on Twitter at all, you know, was a big move. Um, the, the, his kind of you know, very strong, very kind of, um, you know, he was he was essentially off the leash, right, in, in terms of in terms of Twitter, like he could basically say what he wanted to. Um, and he did. Um, and so, so you know, that is moving in one direction, that the, the heightened fight with the US, uh, you know, around lots and lots of issues, including you know, the COVID origin is, is another trend. And then also all of the all of the um, help that the Chinese have been offloading in Africa over the last week, you know, thousands and thousands of face masks and testing kits and so on being shipped to Africa from China with very concerted media coverage of it from the state media and through all of these Twitter accounts, they're all clearly setting up, a, you know, kind of a, a new diplomatic initiative. And and I would guess he might well be part of that. 
Um, but in which capacity, who knows? You know, but but we, we it does seem to be we seem to be in for greater fights between the U.S. and China in the press in in the next the next few months. I would guess. There's no doubt that this is going to intensify. Uh, and I again, Zhao Lijian is a guy to watch. My guess is that he is going to be teamed up to some effect with Zhao Lijian. Uh, and but the 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 intensity of the acrimony between the United States and China is just getting worse by the day, and and every single time that conservative media and Donald Trump and Vice President Pence uh, continue to say the Wuhan virus, the Chinese virus, it just riles up the Chinese. Now the Chinese on they're playing a separate game here with this whole revisionist uh, approach to the where the virus originated from and the fact that they're trying to cast out. We don't know where. Maybe it came from, I don't know, Mars. We're just looking into it. It's ironic because it's a very Trump approach where you take a theory that is not founded and say people are asking questions or people are looking into it. Of course, nobody's asking a question and nobody's looking into it. But it's a rhetorical device that is borrowed heavily from the way that Trump does it to put provocative ideas out there that are unfounded in order to rally the base. The base in this case, of course, is the is domestic Chinese audiences at home that are 100% aligned with the party in many ways about this origin story. And we're just seeing the tensions kind of build up between the two. And, and again, Africa in this case uh, is caught in between. Very quickly before we go, uh, what we've been writing about in the Monday newsletter, for those of you who are not subscribers to our newsletter, this is the kind of stuff we covered. And all our, most of our newsletter today is about the Jack Ma donation that happened over the weekend. And I just want to get your, your take on this because I think this was a seminal moment uh, in the U.S.-China relationship and the, the battle for soft power in Africa over COVID-19 in general. And I think that this highlighted, to your point, about the effectiveness of Chinese media in Africa, that not only is it the, the CGTNs, which that's the superficial part, but then they were, all the Twitter accounts were mobilized. Then all of the partner media was mobilized. And then on top of that, we had Prime Minister Abeyi from Ethiopia, President Paul Kagame in Rwanda, all kind of amplifying the donation. And it just showed me in two different takeaways. Number one, the US and Europeans do not have this media infrastructure in Africa. So they can't amplify their stories anywhere near as effectively as the Chinese can. The Chinese have spent a decade now building a very vast media infrastructure in Africa that now is showing real dividends. Number two that I'd like to get your, your takeaway on is the fact that the United States and Europe too, but mostly the United States, can, could never do what Jack Ma did. They can't give six million pieces of protective clothing to to masks and things like that because they don't have enough at home. And the politics of giving away millions of masks in Africa when your own healthcare workers in Indiana and Seattle and New York don't have them uh, just would never work. So in this sense, on that shaping the narrative thing, China, in my view, it's it's a knockout punch. That's what I wrote in the newsletter today. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's, you know, the optics of it was was very strong and they were very well orchestrated. Um, and as you know, what we're seeing now essentially is that is that all of these all of these different kind of media platforms are working together, social media and, you know, um, accounts on, on Western social media platforms like Twitter that that is working with official Chinese media presence on the continent, you know, so so it's it's all 
all it all kind of plays in the same orchestra, different instruments in the same orchestra. Um, I think I you know I think it also reflects that China is that little bit further along in dealing with the crisis. You know they the the the, the U.S. and Europe are essentially where China was a f- uh, you know a few a month or three ago. Um, in you know, and in, so China has more bandwidth I think in in you know in dealing with Africa. Like Chinese engagement with Africa fell you know fell off a cliff for a while you know for a few weeks um, while while they were dealing with the the, the situation, the crisis at home. Now the crisis at home is starting to 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 lessen, and they have a bit more bandwidth to 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 make kind of diplomatic hay, you know, while the US and, and Europe are are completely consumed with with dealing with it at home. Um, I think that could very easily be spun and will probably be spun into a narrative of the US and Europe don't care about Africa when it really counts. Um, you know, the the fact also that. Um, as you point out, this is this was a Jack Ma gesture, right? It was not a Chinese government gesture. It's not a government gesture. That's right. Very important distinction to make. So I think even I think even in in China, it still is too early for the government to be giving hundreds of thousands of masks away, f- uh, taking it away from the domestic population and giving it to, to people overseas. I think even there, it'll be that that will play badly um, politically. I think they're just on the, the fact that it was private corporate money that essentially funded that and it could be played as this kind of gesture of of goodwill from a very rich individual who just happens to be very closely aligned to to the to the government i think that provided this perfect diplomatic uh, opportunity and we have to keep in mind that you know we have to mention that that people like the bill and melinda gates foundation they do do a lot of work on on COVID 100 million dollars so, so it's not even that that dollars. is not so yeah it's not even that that is not happening um it's simply that it isn't being that there isn't this kind of like media infrastructure in place to, there we to go. trumpet it's, it to the to, it's shaping to the, the narrative and, and maybe also the Americans don't care yeah. about it at the moment you know kind of they they they're frying bigger fish yeah I mean but it's shaping that narrative and they they can't they can't do it even if they wanted to simply because they don't have the ability to do that in place it's interesting because one of the themes that popped up on Twitter about Jack Ma's donation was the fact that he's making African billionaires and millionaires look bad. Because people are saying, where are the, you know, the Dangote, uh, you know, empire in Nigeria gave, you know, they gave a little bit, but nowhere near as much as this. Uh, certainly in Kenya, they listed all the millionaires on Twitter and they said, why aren't you doing something like this? And, and there's enough wealthy people. There's a lot of wealth in South Africa and we don't see them stepping up in, in that sense. So, you know, a lot of people could have done what Jack Ma did. And to your point, in some ways, it's very interesting that an American billionaire didn't step up to do this because you're right. While a government can't necessarily give away masks, there's no reason that you know Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg or someone else who've been talking about how important Africa is for the past you know two years or whatever uh, can't come up with donations. And we're not seeing the American private sector step up in Africa the way that Jack Ma has done, for example. And that would be an interesting kind of way for the State Department to nudge the private sector, in part because what we've been talking about, how the U.S. strategy in Africa now more and more is to be a private sector first initiative. That is the whole kind of raison d'etre behind the U.S. International Development Finance Corporation, Prosper Africa. So getting the U.S. government to engage the American private sector the way that Jack Ma has done it might give some political cover to to some of those issues. But it is a very, very interesting time uh, right now. And the narratives and the optics are being kind of set right now 
The, the only other, the other point I wanted to bring up, Cobus, to get your final take, this is the last one on this, is Jack Ma made the announcement that he was going to make this donation. Again, we're only, what, six, seven weeks into the crisis outside of China. It's been about eight weeks inside of China. But in Africa, it hasn't been that long since this crisis emerged. So my understanding was that it was March 16th when he first made the announcement, which was last week, that he was going to make the donation. And there you go, a Boeing 777, Ethiopian Airlines Flight 3751 uh, landed from Guangzhou and distributing stuff. That is called GSD, getting stuff done. And it really does align with the Chinese narrative, which is, well, the West will come in and lecture you on all of these ethereal issues on freedom of association, freedom of religion, freedom of things. We build roads. We get stuff done. And here's Jack Ma reinforcing that. I said I was going to do it, and there's a Boeing 777 at Bole International Airport that is unloading masks, right? You know, that, to me, is a very powerful optic. Yeah, it's powerful. You know, I, I, I think it's I think it's it's a a real kind of landmark moment in, in China Africa public diplomacy. Um and as you say, it's one that that the West is generally not not particularly well prepared to meet. Um I my feeling is that the West and the Western diplomats at the moment don't care. Um you know, um and they they I you know we we might see we might this might be a crisis that reveals how little the West actually particularly cares about Africa, you know. Um but we we'll see. You know, we'll we'll see whether whether you know kind of once the bandwidth is up, you know, kind of in the West, whether they be they'll be, you know, kind of matching it. But um it will also obviously depend a lot on, on how the crisis unfolds in Africa particularly. Yeah. I don't but, think yeah, they care about Africa. I think they care about China. And I think yes. they care about the Chinese narrative that's being spun. So, yeah, to your point. So, interesting times. This is everything. Again, I'm hitting it very hard. But our newsletter is the only way to stay on top of these things. There's nothing else like it in the world. Uh, every day, Cobus and I are putting together a thick digest of everything. An analysis. We're helping you kind of connect the dots. It's not just link, 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 link. You can get Twitter for that. Just follow me on Twitter. I put a bunch of the links up there if that's all you want. But if you want to understand how these things connect and tie together, what we're trying to do is every day put out one or two thoughts. We call them thought bubbles for you how to see an issue. And, and then we'll put a whole bunch of stuff around it, but it's really one or two big thoughts every single day. So if you're following this stuff for your work, for your career, if you're for your you're an academic, you're an intelligence analyst, you're a diplomat, uh, you're a journalist. This is the kind of thing that you want because there's nobody else doing it, and we're really super proud of it. It's $149 uh, for one year, which is not that expensive, especially for independent journalism that supports us to do this. This is my full time job. I'm giving my heart and soul to it, uh, and I'm open to you to talk about it if you've got questions. If you want to do a trial, some folks have emailed me up and said, "Listen, I'd like to try it out. Can I have it for a week?" I say, "Yeah, let me give it to you. I want you to see it. If you don't like it, turn it off. It's not the end of the world." Uh, but it is a, an important uh, time to understand some of these issues, these deeper issues. So, okay, there we go. Go to www. ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. Students and faculty get half off just for $75 a year or $7 a month. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. For Kobus van Staden in Johannesburg, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to Facebook.com slash ChinaAfricaProject 
to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Gwobas at Stadinsky or Eric at eOlander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com. Thank you.